when I was a, a young lad, I felt like the church I attended wasn't speaking to me enough. Now, it was good worship, and the pastor was great, and the people were nice and are nice. Remember that the folks from Peace Lutheran and Glen Burnie have given us mission support money. They are nice. That's on the record. But I felt like something was missing in my faith life, something that I could not quite articulate. And I found that something with some decidedly not Christian friends of mine in a group called Campus Life. We would get together, we would play games, we would make jokes, we would have a lot of fun, and we would talk about Jesus at the end. And when that was all over, we would go to McDonald's. It was a unique way of expressing faith. This was a group that actively reached out to people who were not sure that they were religious. And I, I had never encountered this before. I became so enthralled with this group that I decided to rededicate my life to Christ. And if I had only known then what that would entail. Campus Life is part of the Youth for Christ Network. This ministry has ties to the ministry of Billy Graham. Now, I'm, I'm just going to say, I like Billy Graham. I don't agree with all of his beliefs, but I like that he rejected a seat at the moral majority table. And I quote him here, I'm for morality, but morality goes beyond sex to human freedom and social justice. Billy Graham believes in living a pious life while also condemning the sort of exclusionary piety that many practice. Unfortunately, in my experience with campus life, we were taught that kind of exclusionary piety. We were taught to worry first and foremost about our behavior and to police ourselves against all temptations. Lip service was given to care for the poor, but that was all tertiary to our piousness. We had to act right, say the right things, read the Bible daily and believe it literally, do not question the word, do not give in to sin, do not do this or that, don't screw up your chance at salvation. And while it's okay to be nice to gay people, to be nice to Muslims, to be nice to atheists and folks that are different, remember that if they don't reform their ways, they're going to hell. I don't want to step on anyone else's personal piety, but I eventually found a sort of emptiness in this kind of Christian practice. I didn't feel any more close to God than I already had. I'm not a self-help guy when it comes to religion. I don't like faith practices and traditions that are individual and introspective. I want to grow as a person to be sure, but I also really want a community of support. I want you guys. This, to me, this kind of piety made me feel like a self-help religion, like one of those 10-step programs to lose weight. Get right with the Lord. Show off your piety to others. Receive that one-way golden ticket to eternal salvation. That's what it felt like. Meanwhile, this is the mid-2000s, so the conflicts in Afghanistan and Iraq were going on, and that combined to, left, to make me feel depressed. Like, if God just wanted us to give our lives to him, what did it mean for both our soldiers and those who lived in the region? That kind of bloodshed had to have a point to God, especially for my fellow country folk who were and still are coming home in coffins and or are emotionally dead, much to my sadness. 
And this kind of belief system did not mention the poor. If Jesus claimed to love them so much in the Bible, then how come we were supposed to just feed them on a Saturday morning while ignoring policies that kept the brood of oppression on their neck? Those who are looking for piety can find it in James, but it's not the, pri the piety like the one I experienced, the internal one that leaves you comfortable and places boundaries to everyone else. This kind of piety is the one that the everyday church can do a better job of practicing. Be quick, to be quick to listen, not be quick to anger, be quick to listen and slow to anger. Do not wave your strength around like a sword, but meekly accept the word of God that is given to you. That whole passage about the mirror is a reminder that actions speak louder than words, and piety turned inward is a worthless practice of religion. We are called to love one another, especially the least of these in society. James reminds us of that. This is a beautiful text, and I read it every time with the same fondness as the first. I was listening to Pat read it, I'm sitting over there, and I'm just like, yes, yes, this is good. Now, not everyone liked this text, including dear Martin Luther. Luther believed that James's theology contrasted with his view that there is nothing we can do to earn salvation, and that works righteousness is a bad way to view our relationship with God. I agree with Luther. If you're only loving people for the sake because God wants you to, and not because you genuinely have a conscience or a spirit of love, that is problematic. But I also think there is more to James than just that. James isn't speaking about salvation here in this text, at least not explicitly. James is talking about our day-to-day -day lives and how we see God and how we seek God in all that we do. He boils down religious practice to a care for those who need care, not a selfishness that holds one's view of God as a personal, centered, and heaven-based religion. Jesus did not going around saving everyone or asking folks if they wanted to be saved or if they were saved. He did not provide a 10-step routine to get to him. In fact, he did just the opposite, as we see in Mark's Gospel today. He removed the boundaries that many folks held in place to keep people away from God. And what is amazing about the God-made flesh who came to dwell among us is that there is nothing we have to do in order to access that person. He is there. And he lives for us and for others. At the font, at the table, and to the end. Jesus very much embodied the text we read in James today. He was slow to anger. Maybe not as slow in today's text. Maybe it was a yellow light instead of a, a red light anger. But, but he slow to anger, quick to listen. He meekly accepted the word his father gave him. And he cared deeply for the women and children who followed him. He is the Messiah who practices what he preaches. And that is the standard that we have. Jesus did not come to proclaim heaven. That was sealed for you in your baptism through his death and resurrection. That's done. Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom of God, good news to the poor, help the oppressed, set the captive free, 
That's the kingdom of God. Your salvation is set because you are justified by grace through faith. You're good. Nothing you could do to earn that. You don't have to accept Jesus into your heart. He's already there through your baptism and through the faith that you show. Since that's done, the only thing left to do is to proclaim God's kingdom to all. James lays out how to do that quite clearly. Dr. Sandra Hack-Pulaski summarizes it well, and I close with her remarks. Perhaps if we as Christians were to follow James's precepts, we would do a lot less talking and a lot more listening. We would forswear anger and self-deception. We would measure our faith by our personal relationships, both in our habits of speech and in our relationships with others in the community. Our primary expression of our religion would be an outreach to the poor and neglected. By such attitudes and actions, James tells us we fulfill the divine purpose and become the first fruits of all God's creatures. Beautiful words, a beautiful text, the book of James. It's awesome. And so is God, and so are you. God loves you all very much. So, like when, you know, you win a championship, you want to... You don't want to just be like, okay, I want to change your work. You want to celebrate? That's done for you. James is how we celebrate. Amen. Please rise. It's your age.